six, three o'clock in the afternoon, and I suddenly realized he was a shepherd keeping watch over the sheep. Do you know what he was doing at three o'clock in the afternoon? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He was asleep. It's just a sleepy night, and suddenly the breaking in of the glory of God. Must be incredible. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the city of David, a saviour was born for you. Imagine, a saviour was born for you. Who will be the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened. There's been no urgency in these shepherds lives for their entire life. And suddenly they're like, we need to go. Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they'd been told. I'm going to pray for a moment. Father, God, thank you so much for this incredible glory encounter. Thank you that you sent your angel, Lord God, to make known the wondrous news that we are favored by you, that there is a savior for us. Lord God, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the the power of that moment, Lord God. Help us as we delve into your scripture today, Lord. I pray that you will just ignite this word to us. You will illuminate this word to us, Lord God, and leave us transformed and impacted as those shepherds were. Amen. I was uh, remembering the story this week. You may have heard this story, I don't know, of of the little boy whose uh, mum needs to get him out of the house as she's preparing all the Christmas dinner, probably on Christmas Eve. And uh, so she packs him off to Sunday school. And he heads off to Sunday school and, uh, and, and comes back sometime later, really excited. And he, and he leaps into the kitchen and he says, Mum, Mum, they told us at church that God is everywhere. And she says, oh, right. That's nice, little Johnny. And he goes, Mum, does, does that mean that, that, that God is in this house? And she goes, well, yeah, 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 I, I, suppose, I suppose it does. And she says, well, oh, he says, Mum... Does, does that mean that, that God's, you know, right in this kitchen right now while you're doing the cooking? And she says, yeah, yeah, that's right. And suddenly he whips out this, this old glass jam jar that's been washed out. And, and, and he says, Mum, does that mean that, that God is, is in this jam jar? And she said, yes, God is in this jam jar. And quickly he whips out the lid and he bangs it tight on top and he says, I got him. <laughs> and what that little boy had understood, albeit very vaguely, was something of the theology of God's omnipresence. What we would call the Spirit of God filling everywhere and being in everything at all points of the universe. He is the one that created. He is the one that sustains. He is in every, every part of, of, of life everywhere. That's God's omnipresence. That's something that the Bible testifies to pretty clearly. But actually, what we're beginning to see here happening in this story is these shepherds are out, out in the fields is... 
they began to experience and they began to encounter the presence of God in a very different way, in a very manifest way, what we might call God's manifest presence. And actually, as, as the glory of God from that is, that is real and true and visible and normal in the, in the spiritual world, what we might call the heavenly realm or the heavenly places, broke in powerfully into their natural, physical, material realm. Actually, there was such a, a manifest presence of God that his glory shone with a physical light around them. It must have been a, oh, it says there was a terrifying experience for them. And the glory of God broke in and, was, and was, was visible and manifest in their life through the presence of God in that place. And I want to talk about the impact that that encounter with God had on these shepherds today. Because it's what I, want to, what I want to get to is I believe that God is saying to us, and I believe God says actually that it is his intention for every single believer in Christ to experience and to know God in a way a little bit like we've been thinking about this morning that not only leaves them changed, but leaves them transformed from the inside out. Let's just, before I, I get back into the story of the shepherds, I just want to lay a little bit of a foundation for this. If you've got uh, your finger, just, just keep that in, uh, in, in Luke chapter 2. We're going to flick over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, just the end there. And Paul is beginning to find some language to talk about some of these things. Am I standing in the way here? I am. And um, I'm going to pick up at verse 17. This ties very much in with some of the things that John Groves was bringing to us a couple of weeks ago. I want to kind of pick up from there. And he says, and we, uh, now, sorry, where the, uh, sorry. now the Lord is the Spirit. He's speaking about the presence of Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In other words, where the manifest presence of God's Holy Spirit is, there is incredible, there is incredible freedom. And he says, we all. Okay, I want to mark that word, all. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's a complicated passage of scripture. Let's just unpack a little bit of what he's talking about. He says, first of all, this is something that God desires, that is God's intention for all of his children. Paul wasn't writing to the spiritual elite. He wasn't writing merely to the leaders of the church. He was writing for all. He was writing for those who, like the shepherds, would have thought of themselves as the most insignificant of all people. He says we all, what? We are able to behold the glory of the Lord. What does that mean? What's beholding? It's one of these words we use all the time, isn't it? We don't really think about what that is. I want you to imagine going to, a, to an art gallery or you, you come face to face with a great masterpiece and suddenly you see it and it takes your breath away and its scope and you, and you come up face to face with it and you just take a big step back and you just, you behold it. Or maybe you're, you're, you're looking into, gazing intently into your own eyes in the bathroom mirror in the morning. Maybe you're kind of looking through all the makeup or the hair or whatever it is you're doing. And you just, you just begin to look and you behold because it means that you gaze intently into something to the degree that, you, that the fullness of it begins to impact you. And Paul is saying, actually, we all are invited to behold as we encounter, as we drink deeply of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are in, invited to behold the glory of God. This is what these shepherds were doing. What happens what happens? He says, actually, as we do that, we are being transformed 
into what? Into the same image. In other words, into the likeness of the thing that it is that we behold. Genevieve puts it like this. She says, what we behold, we become. Have you ever noticed that you tend to kind of conform yourself, don't you? You tend to uh, become a little bit like the people that you're spending time with. I was, uh, I was thinking, I was chatting to the youth the other day, and I was saying, actually, if, if you go on a night out with, with the football team, and you go on a night out with the guys from the, the, from the library club, or whatever it is, you're probably going to carry yourself, you're going to hold yourself, you're going to joke, you're going to talk, you're going to speak, you're going to be different, depending on the company that you're in. Psychologists often tell us that we, we become very much like the average of the people that we spend the most time with. So they would say, actually, if you want to become a wealthy person, you spend time with wealthy people. You start thinking like a wealthy person. You start making decisions like a wealthy person. You start becoming a wealthy person. Actually, the Spirit says it's as we behold the presence of God, as we behold the glory of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, we become transformed into the likeness of the one that it is that we are beholding. It's iterative. It's from one degree of glory to another. And you think, well, this sounds great. How does it, how does it happen? Well, Paul preempts our question. He says, well, this, this comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. We're invited, as, as I was saying earlier on, to drink deeply of him. So I want to look today at, at three ways in which these shepherds were powerfully transformed and impacted by that initial encounter they had. These were people who were not looking for God, most likely. They were not religious, most likely. They were not in a place where they were in, in prayer or worship. I mean, maybe they were. Maybe they were sat out like St. Patrick on the hillside with a heart worshipping. I don't know. I doubt it. In the context of the culture, that would have been highly unlikely. But they were transformed by that encounter with God, which God desires for all of us. So let's look at three ways that they were, they were impacted. First of all, Come back to Luke 2 here. First of all, the effect that it had on them was that it caused them to run to Jesus. Did you notice that? They said um, in, verse, uh, in verse 15, let's go straight away. Suddenly there was some urgency. There was some kind of action as they, as they got off their backside. And they were like, we need to run and we need to see what it is, this thing that God has caused us to know about. You see, every true encounter with the presence of God, the Spirit of God, always causes us to run to Jesus, not away from him. I've heard many Christians in the past kind of caution, saying, well, we don't want to seek too much of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to focus too much on, on drinking of him. Or a little bit, we're a little bit concerned about this kind of, you know, we just, want to, we just want to encounter the presence of God in our worship because it might distract us from Jesus. No, 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 no. This is what happens in a true encounter with God. It always leads us to Jesus. The Spirit comes to glorify Jesus, to lead us to his words, to lead us to his lifestyle, to lead us to the scripture. That's what it does. I was, uh, it was a, a real joy a couple of weeks ago to pray with a number of the guys on our Alpha course uh, to, for the first time to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And um, there's one of my friends that I'd that I'd met there, well, I got to know him through the course, and, um, and he'd kind of been saying throughout the course, you know, I really enjoy the Bible, I've been listening to the Bible, I've been reading to the, Bi the Bible, and it's great, but there's, there's all these bits, of course, that aren't true, aren't there? You know, like, like the miracles of Jesus, you know, him walking on water, and he came up with all these things. Well, obviously, those, aren't, those actually didn't happen, did they? Kind of expecting me to nod along and, you know, go, oh, yeah, no, we don't believe that bit. 
And it was wonderful, kind of coming back to the course the week after he had given his life to the Lord and been filled with the Holy Spirit, of him just saying, and bearing in mind in that week, he had, he had read through um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, I think most of Deuteronomy, and it's halfway through Numbers. And he was saying, well, now I just read the Bible, and it's just, it just, it's just so true, I find it so plausible. Such a transformation had happened. He said, since last week, by meaning since the time that I encountered the presence of God, it led him to Jesus. That's what happens. I was just reminiscing in the week about a time uh, Sheldon and I and a few others were out in, in Romania and we'd, we'd gone out for a youth conference and after the uh, kind of after hours we, we kind of organized this impromptu prayer meeting um, which was kind of going on in the night and uh, we'd made a few plans of what we wanted to go and to talk through and talk to the youth about and pray through and everything else and and I remember after about 10 or 15 minutes and the glory of God just came in such a powerful way that we realized that the Holy Spirit was just throwing all of our plans and everything we were going to do out of the window as, we, as people just began to cry out to God, as just people being healed, people being delivered, set free. But my overwhelming memory of that evening, despite the kind of holy chaos that was going on around us, was actually where we ended up. As the night drew to a close, where we ended up was on our knees at the foot of this wooden cross that they'd erected at the front of the church for the conference. And that, to me, kind of stood out in my mind, is actually, as we encounter the presence, the manifest glory of God, he will always lead us to Jesus, not away from him. The second thing that this encounter did in the lives of the, uh, of the shepherds is that it caused them to, to preach and to share the message of Jesus boldly and widely. Do you see what it said? They said, um, verse 17, and when they'd seen it, in other words, when they'd gone, they made known that saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it, implying there were quite a lot, wondered or marveled at what the shepherds had told them, or a better translation might be what the shepherds had preached to them. I love these guys, these guys who were asleep in a field one moment, who were spiritually apathetic didn't care about anything suddenly they were running and they were grabbing and it was bubbling up out of them this message of Jesus you know he's in our favor and there's there's a savior that's been born for us and we don't need to be in our sins anymore and the glory of God has appeared and he's he's come to rescue us and it's bubbling out of them and everyone who hears it is absolutely astonished at what these shepherds are saying again we don't need to be cautious we don't need to be um be, be, be reticent about seeking the presence of God as if somehow it, it, it might steer us away from evangelism. I don't know how good an evangelist any of you guys think you are, but you know, I, I, I don't think that's what is being pictured here. I remember that wonderful day on the day of Pentecost when, in Acts chapter 2, when the power of God fell on these apostles, these disciples who were cowering, who were fearful, who had a great commission to fulfill. They had standing orders to go. And they were in a locked room. The power of God comes on them boldly and enables them to witness even through the harshest of persecution. So first of all, the the encounter with God's presence causes them first to run to Jesus. It causes them to spread the good news of Jesus with with boldness and and just, just, just widely. The third thing that happens is that it causes them to worship. Do you see what what happens? He says... They returned glorifying and praising God 
for all that they had heard and seen. Suddenly, their, 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 their sin disposition, their, their manner of life, their sin manner of life had been replaced by a worship manner of life. It's like they've been given a whole new vocabulary. Suddenly, all the, all the, all the, 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 the kind of torrid words that would have come out of their mouth had been replaced by words of praise. Their sin lifestyle had been replaced by worship lifestyle. Somebody tweeted this week, I, I, I love the quote, it said, sin loses its flavor when we taste what is really good. I love that. Sin loses its flavor when we taste what is really good. See, when we begin to really taste of the gospel, when we begin to really understand that, that we are in God's favor, that a savior has been born for us, that we don't need to live in the, in the squalor of, of what we've lived in before, that we can encounter God's holy presence, as I was speaking about. We begin to taste of those things. Sin loses its flavor. Suddenly, we become disinterested. The power of those things, the hold that those things has over us is broken because we're tasting of something newer and better. You see, all the muck and all the junk and all the, all the compromise and all the defilement in their life was being displaced by what God was beginning to pour into their lives. When I came uh, into the bathroom this morning, we'd uh, accidentally left all of uh, Anaya's and, and Sam's ducks and toy boats and toy everything in the bottom of the bath. And um, you can imagine, actually, if I put the plug in and I just began to run, or began to run all of those taps, eventually the water level would begin to rise. And if I let it go and go and go and go, what would happen eventually was the water would begin to overflow from what is being poured in. And all of the muck, all of the mess that is on the inside would begin to be displaced and would eventually flow out. See, this is what has been happening in these, these shepherds' lives, that suddenly there is so much that God is pouring in of the good news of Jesus, of the presence of God, that the worship life that has been generated them has just displaced all the sin and all the muck that was there. I love how they suddenly, it just, just just describes how they were. I can imagine them just sort of going back to the campfire and sitting around and they're beginning to eat and they just begin to sing. They begin to praise. They begin to, to be thankful. They begin to be grateful in their worship. There's, suddenly there's a new vocabulary in their mouth. It's a vocabulary of praise. Suddenly it's the thing of first importance. You ever notice in our society, we, we, we tend to imagine what is of, of, of importance by its level of urgency. Do you ever get that? Do you ever kind of get into the office on a Monday morning and begin to kind of look through, okay, what are my priorities for the week and when am I going to do certain things? And, and you begin to realize, okay, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And we begin to prioritize things and their level of importance by their level of urgency. Well, you know, someone's squeezing me to make sure I get this done on time and everything else. And, and we begin to rank and we begin to understand what is important, the important ways of spending our time based on the urgency of what they are. You know what? There's never a sense of urgency to come into the presence of God, is there? There's never an urgency to worship. There's never an urgency to soak. There's never an urgency to drink. There's never an urgency to behold. There never seems to be an urgency to get the, the scriptures open and just immerse yourself in it and see what God would say. But you know what? When the, when the power of God comes and impacts and touches a person's life, Suddenly it becomes the most important thing. It becomes the dominant thing. It becomes the big rock that we get in our schedule before anything else because we know that we're transformed in that place of his presence. 
Yeah, we're doing for time. Right. So we've been looking at three things. This encounter with the glory of God, the manifest presence of God, caused them to run to Jesus. It caused them to, to witness, to, to share his good news with power. And it caused them to live a life of worship. And maybe you're here this morning and you kind of feel like, you know what, I, I, I feel like I'm one of those shepherds looking in on the inside, looking in from the outside. You're thinking maybe, well, this is great, you know, this all sounds very exciting for you guys that are here in church regularly and you understand the whole religious deal, but, but you know... Maybe you're just looking in and thinking, well, I don't get this. I've I've never really had that relationship with God that you've heard people speaking about. I've never done this drinking business. I don't know who the Holy Spirit is. Maybe you feel like one of those shepherds who's looking in from the outside of the city on everything that's going on here this morning. And you're thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm not sure I have this. Well, you know what, the invitation from God is for you. Because God didn't just come to save the religious. He didn't come to save the good people. By the way, there aren't many of them in here. He didn't come to save the ones who were looking for him, the ones that were seeking him out. The thing I love about this story is how God came and he shone his light. He shone his light of glory on the people who were the most outside, the ones who were on the outside, maybe not even looking in. And if that's you this morning, then I believe God is inviting you to come into his presence as well. You see, something happened when, 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 when God's light literally almost, well, literally physically shone upon them, their instinct at first was that they were terrified. Because they suddenly, in, in, the, in the cold, hard light of day, as it were, in the light of God's goodness, they began to understand, my word, you know what? I don't fit. I don't measure up. I feel doomed. This can, you see often in passages of scripture, when people encounter the presence of God, their first instinct is fear, and then someone has to say, like the angel says straight away, you don't need to be afraid, listen, there is a savior for you. But they were gripped by this conviction, they suddenly began to realize, man, that sheep that I stole, I need to get that back, like, now. This stuff that I've been drinking and using, I I, I need to stop that. These words that I've been using, whatever it is, they were suddenly gripped by that fear in the cold, hard light of God that they suddenly began to realize, you know what, I've got nothing for this guy. And the good news that comes immediately to them is when the angel says, you don't need to be afraid. God has not come here to condemn you. He's not come here to judge you. A savior has been born for you. They would have suddenly realized in that moment, man, man, the life that I've lived, the way that I've lived my life, there's nothing that I can do to make myself better, to make myself acceptable to God. And they'd have been right, by the way. The angel says, no, no, no. The news is that there is a savior for you. A little while later on, he says, you are in the favor of God. God has chosen to favor you with his salvation, not because you were good, not because you were turning over a new leaf, not because you went to synagogue every week. Because he loves you, because he is seeking you out. And maybe you're here this morning and you just feel the the nudging of God, the little heartbeat of God in you as he is seeking you out and he is inviting you to come in. He's not a God of the church. He's not a God of the religious. He's not a God of those who are tucked up safe and warm inside the town. He's the God of those on the outside and he wants to draw you in. That is his invitation to every single one of us. And you know, Jesus, the reason we celebrate Christmas is not the baby Jesus. Sorry to burst that bubble. (laughs) It's because of who he grew up to be. It's that wonderful story that Jesus, who had for all eternity been God, stepped down and became a human being 
so that he could grow up, so that he could live an exemplary, loving, kind, just, perfect life, and then very deliberately, on purpose, die on the cross in our place. He was trying to explain to his disciples, this isn't a mistake, this is all part of the plan. This is the reason that I was born, so that I could take your place, so that I could stand in your place to take the punishment that every single one of us deserves, the consequences that would come to every single one of us for the life that we've lived. And his invitation is you don't need to face those consequences because a saviour has been born for you. Trust in me, believe in me, and you will be saved. I'm going to finish. Should we just stand together? I'd love to pray. James, you guys are right to, to come pick up some worship. First of all, I just want to extend an invitation. Like, I feel like an invitation has been coming from God already this morning. And I feel like the invitation is coming through Scripture for every single one of us to behold. And this isn't something you just do in 10 minutes at the end of a service. It's a lifestyle. It's something that we seek and we cultivate. But I feel actually there can be a moment of encounter with the glory of God that spurs us on. And if what some of what Al or Karen or anybody else was sharing this morning stirs with you and you think, you know what, I, I'm not quite sure I have that. I'm not quite sure I know what that is. Or I've been there, but you know what, I just feel so empty and dry. I need to behold, I need to encounter this God afresh. The invitation to you this morning is to come and drink. I love what John Groves was sharing a couple of weeks ago when he was talking, when he was saying, don't be drunk on wine, that passage in Ephesians, but but be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the things he said was that if, if, if you put, a, if you put a, a drink in front of someone who is, who is drinking to get drunk or is an alcoholic, they, they don't need to be encouraged. They don't need to be reminded that that is there. It's their instinct to go and reach for the cup. People who are drunk don't, don't take a tiny occasional sip. We come back regularly and often. And the invitation of God is to come and to drink deeply that living water that gives us life. We want to be people who know what it is to reach for the cup because it's our instinct, because it's our second nature. So if that's you in a moment, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand, don't do it yet. I'll love to come and pray with you. Others would love to come and pray with you. It may be this morning as well that actually for the first time you want to begin to pray and ask God to come into your life. You might be, like I was saying, one of those people who feel like you're on the outskirts of the city, you're, you're looking in, you're not part of this whole deal, you don't feel like you know what's happening here fully, but you're feeling the invitation of Jesus who's saying there is a saviour for you. All those things that you've done, all those things that you don't feel like you could bring before God because you're ashamed of them, he can wash them away in a moment. And if that's you, then I'd love to come and pray with you as well, that you could just come and receive Jesus for the first time this morning. So these guys are going to come and lead us in a song. We're going to come and worship. Just for those that are feeling especially thirsty, as we did before, and maybe it's the same people, I don't know. I just invite you just to hold out your hands. I'm going to come and pray over us all. I'll come and pray for as many as I can pray for. It may be that that, that friends around you, community group leaders, church leaders will just come and pray for a few as well. If you feel like, actually, you know what, I need that touch from God this morning. I need to drink deeply from Him this morning. Then I'd invite you, just just hold out your hand as as a signal to Him and to us that 
you want to receive. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence. I thank you for your power. I thank you that it is your intention for all, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've slipped, no matter how much we've been pushing you away, no matter what sins we've committed, I thank you it is your intention for all of us to drink deeply of your presence and to be transformed from the inside out. Holy Spirit, right now, right across this place, come and fall on us afresh. Holy Spirit, right now, come and fall afresh on every single one, all who are thirsty. Isaiah said, come to the waters and drink. All who are thirsty. Father, we say we are thirsty for you. In the name of Jesus, send your Holy Spirit. We are thirsty for you, for your presence.